Uh, this week we celebrated Palm Sunday, a big event in the Christian life because it kicks off what we know as Holy Week. We'll talk about the history of Holy Week and why that means so much to Christians today. And we see that Jesus is not only our Savior, but he's more than that. He is our King. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, March 29th, 2015. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, it is Palm Sunday, so welcome. This is the beginning of Holy Week. We're going to be talking about Holy Week in just a second. We have just finished up our Grow Group semester, so I heard a lot of good feedback. I haven't followed up with every facilitator yet, but it sounded like it went well. Got good feedback from that. People enjoyed. We talked about why do we have churches? Why do we worship? Why do we um, have Bible study? Why do we do these things? And an answer from the Bible and also personal examples for myself. So we're looking at um, Holy Week, and Holy Week is the traditional start of as we recognize Jesus' suffering and his death on the cross. And this has been around, do you know when the start of Holy Week is? When it started? It hasn't been around forever. So like when Jesus um, died on the cross, it, immediately they didn't start commemorating Holy Week. The, the earliest thing that we have is about four, the 4th century A.D. So just to, the kids are here, I think this is the hardest part about history. When they say 4th century, that actually means the 300s which is totally confusing to me. And the way that it works is the first century is zero to 100. That's the first block of 100 years, so that goes to zeros. And then when they start counting like 130, you think, oh, that should be the one first century, but it's not. It's a trick. That's the second century. So we're in the fourth century A.D. People had this natural desire. That's the 300s. Uh, there's a, a, a text called the Pilgrimage of Egeria. And people had this natural inclination to kind of reenact and remember the suffering and death of Jesus. And that story is profound but very simple, right? God, who is in heaven, takes on human flesh and lives in our place. He dies in our place. And then it obviously rises again for our sins. So people had this natural kind of inclination to kind of relive these things. You can see that in the secular world. There's various things that people have done or trips that people have taken that they want to kind of reenact and go through that. If you even Christians, they, they still go to Jerusalem. Sometimes they do the Acts of the Apostle. They follow that around. If you're, we'll just stop it there. You can think of secular examples. The, um, so what happened is the people came, and they started to recognize five significant days. And the five are, you're thinking, like, which five days? Palm Sunday, which starts today, and then Monday, Thursday, then Good Friday, then Holy Saturday, and then Easter. So we'll just touch on each of these just for a second. Um, Monday, Thursday, as you know, three significant things happen. And you're thinking in your mind, what are the three significant things that happen? Or at least I see three significant things. Number one, uh, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. So when you go to any of our sister churches, if you go Thursday, they're going to be having uh, a commemoration of the Lord's Supper, the institution of the Lord's Supper. Also, though, Jesus um, washes the disciples' feet. So for some churches, not necessarily Lutheran churches, this is the big deal because Jesus, it is a big deal, because Jesus is saying, um, I did not come to be served, but to serve. The third thing is actually where the name of the day comes from. Mandato is Latin, which means command, because Jesus says, a new command I give to you, love one another. So when we preached on uh, just a few weeks ago, why do I serve? That's the section that we looked at. We looked at it because Jesus said, go and love people. You can't love God without loving people. So that's Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, of course, Suffering is not good. Um, death is not good. And sin is no good, except 
we call this Sunday, I mean, this Friday good as a commemoration of his death because, because of this death, now we are right with God. The one that most of you, I'm guessing, don't necessarily observe is Holy Saturday. That's a guess. Yeah, Holy Saturday is actually traditionally a big deal. And what they would do is um, right on Good Friday, the, uh, they would uh, start fasting. They would have uh, prayer. They would have a lot calmer as they waited. In fact, the churches, if you have a Catholic background, normally they'd have a mass during the day. They wouldn't have mass until after evening hours. So they would hold off to try and recognize, to commemorate the time that Jesus was in the tomb. Which, again, gets confusing. There's two confusing things in history. That One is the A.D. and the, the centuries. The other is the days Jesus is in the tomb. So we'll just quick touch that. The, um, any part of a day counted as a day for Jewish people. So Jesus was in the tomb before 6 p.m., so that counts as a day, even though it's only a few hours. And then um, as soon as you hit about 6 o'clock, that's the next day. So he's in the tomb all of Saturday. And then as soon as 6 p.m. on Saturday happened, you're into Sunday, so that's three days. The last day, of course, is the Easter resurrection. So why, okay, for this whole week, why is Palm Sunday actually a big deal? And I think the easiest way to do that is we'll look at what the, uh, the gospel writer says about it, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. So as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage in Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sends two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this, say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went, they found the colt outside the city, tied at the doorway, and as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing, untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead of those that followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Why is Pump Sunday a big deal? Why do we still memorize, or recognize this 2,000 years later? There's probably three reasons, I think. Number one is Jerusalem is kind of the cultural center of the Jewish people and the Jewish faith. We experience the same thing. If you watch any police officer show, where does the action happen? New York. That is apparently where all crime happens. That's where all heists happen. That's where all tricky things happen. And there's cultural cities around our nation that have influence on the other nations. You watch James Bond movies. James Bond does not, like, pull heists in Franktown, right? He, he goes to, like, Monaco, and then they end up somehow in Dubai, and then they're in, like, Hong Kong, or, you know, like, they're in, they're in New York and Los Angeles. Like Knight Rider, the TV show, all bad things happen right around Los Angeles. So, I mean, if, uh, if you want to do avoid Knight Rider, you just commit crimes in Sacramento. If you don't want to... You just stay in Los Angeles and you're done for. Michael Knight's going to take care of business. So right, right, we have these cultural centers. If you grew up in California, this is kind of a cultural push into the Midwest. Believe it or not, culture is not shaped by Wisconsin. And this is kind of an eye-opening experience for me. People would go on vacation to like California or Hawaii or something, and then they would come back with some item. Like I remember Panama Jack shorts. So our shorts were about this tall. Suddenly, someone showed up with these Panama Jack shorts at the time, which were 50 bucks, which, like, at the equivalent of, like, $1984 is what, like, 
$200 probably. It's like some ridiculous amount. And some kid had these, and he was blazing a trail. The first time people wore Birkenstocks, this did not start in Wisconsin. Right? This starts on the edges. It makes its way here. I experienced this once. I had a friend who was in Minnesota, and so that's west, not, not all the way to California. And he showed up with a pair of these at my house. And you can imagine, even as a kid, I said, what in the world? Like, what, what is the deal with these? These are Zubas, and some of you already know these because you have pairs at home. And we had Zubas. Here's another photo in action. The only thing that photo lacks is good judgment. That's the only thing it lacks. I told Megan this was my wedding photo, and she believed me. That, like, you know how hurtful that was? And mine were green. <laughs> so I, I feel like I have to go to the next slide. Okay, just for safety. Okay, Jerusalem was the city. And so here is Jesus in that time, and he's doing miracles. He's healing people. He's changing lives. And he has kind of these radical teaching about here's the Old Testament. Here's where we're at. And now if you were going to do anything, if you're going to be crowned anything, if you were going to declare anything, if you were going to be named anything, it's going to happen in Jerusalem. So this is why it's significant. Jesus enters Jerusalem. Number two, it's the Passover festival. Jerusalem is already the main city at the time, but now like people were packed into that city. Um, Josephus, we said before, 250,000 lambs were sacrificed around the time of Jesus. Think about how many lambs that is. It's a huge amount. It's like Thanksgiving at our time with the turkeys. Huge event. People are packing in. It's the biggest festival for the Jewish people, so people would have been pumped up. People would have been excited, just like if you go to Denver for a Christmas parade or something, you go to St. Paddy's. We, we drove through. We had our basketball tournament. We drove through uh, downtown Denver with the St. Paddy's parade had just finished. Everybody is wearing green. Everybody is pumped up. Every outside porch is filled with people enjoying St. Patrick's Day. That's the idea. So think like Mardi Gras without the bad connotations, like headlined by U2 at a free concert. So this is how pumped up people would have been just jammed into this city. The third thing is maybe something you don't think of. Jerusalem was the goal. When Jesus is talking to his disciples, when Jesus is preaching, when Jesus is talking again and again and again, you see that this is the goal. You see this often in movies. Um, They often have like a destination they're trying to get to. Um, This happens like in Star Trek. You know, we'll spread it, The Hobbit, and also in non-sci-fi movies, but usually they have a goal to win a championship. They're, They're trying to go somewhere. If you'd look at Jesus, and it's not fake in that sense, but if you look at Jesus' life, you see this theme of a goal of getting to Jerusalem. Let me give you some examples. Um, Luke chapter 9, it says, at the, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Uh, Luke 10, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the prophets, about the Son of Man, will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Why is this, why do we still, why does this matter 2,000 years later? Because Jesus made his way to his final destination at that final destination, he died in your place. At that final destination, he rose in your place. This is why this is a big deal. Jesus' culmination of his ministry happens in Jerusalem. 
So how did the people respond? You probably saw that. People loved him, right? I mean, they, they're yelling. I mean, the equivalent, I, I'm not cool enough to know what people yell if things are going great. But they, they're yelling, Hosanna, son of David, save us. These are, these are terms of endearment. These are fans of Jesus. They had heard of Jesus. We got a crowd forming. It's a big deal. What would you yell today? Like, um, you're the man, I think. Um, you rock. I'm going out on a limb here. Um, that move was sick. There we go. That's a, that was popular for a while. I think of like, cool, my wife is rolling her eyes. She's like, I can't believe. Obviously, people don't say this to me that often. Otherwise, I would know these cool terms. But think about all these terms of endearment to say like, you, you're it. You're the bomb. You're whatever people would say. The people love him. And why wouldn't they? Just think of what Jesus had to offer as they lay down their cloaks and they lay down their palm branches. I think they're envisioning the Jesus that comes as Savior, Jesus who has power, Jesus who can do miracles, Jesus that comforts people. Jesus is maybe, like maybe the one who is going to lead this insurrection over the Romans and, and we're going to be done with them forever. And now we're set. That's the Jesus they loved. What's more interesting, though, is how Jesus responds. So this is, On reaching Jerusalem, uh, we believe this is probably the next day, but on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables and the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, It is not written, my house, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. So Jesus responds in a much different way. They all, and he does recognize the prayer, but immediately he moves into the temple, and the temple is a special place for the Jewish people. This is like the place where you meet God. And it started out like as, as in Moses' time, the thing they're celebrating at Passover. It starts out in Moses' time as this tent. This is where God dwells. Then Solomon builds the first temple. And then it gets destroyed, and Haggai redoes it again. And then and Herod makes this humongous, monstrous temple. What is the most important place, if you would go to Jerusalem, that people would recognize about the temple? Do you know why, does anyone recognize this picture? The Wailing Wall. The reason this matters is because of this huge temple complex in 78 AD. It was utterly destroyed. This is the only thing that's left. Uh, that the women are on the bottom, if you're wondering why there's like a partition, and then the men are up on top. And they, they roll up their prayers and they stick it in the wall. And you can see pictures all the time on the news of people with just a hand on there remembering what the temple used to be. The temple was significant because this is where you met God. You would bring your sacrifices and your prayers and God would listen to you and God would bring forgiveness. What have the people done? Like right in the middle of the only place where the Gentile, non-Jewish people could be. Um, well, think of it this way. You travel all the way to, um, say you go on spring break in Vail. How are the prices? A guy on the lift paid $7 for a Gatorade. I'm like, what is in that Gatorade that makes it for $7? But everything is inflated. They had a kid's jacket at this one store that was $700. 
I, I think there's like prize gold hidden in it or something. So I, didn't, I thought it was like something like that. Everything is inflated. Now imagine you travel with your whole family to get to Jerusalem for this big festival. And anyone who's been to a concert or something know prices are inflated. So you travel this whole way. You're trying to live out your faith where it says offer a sacrifice. You can either carry a lamb with you the entire time or you buy a lamb. So what they did is they just set up pens. It was like this cottage business, and they were selling these lambs so that the people could bring their sacrifices. You were supposed to give an offering in the actual um, the coins of that local area so they had to exchange their money. It wouldn't have been a big deal if they were doing this outside. Imagine we're worshiping here. Big deal if they're doing it in the parking lot. That's what I would say. I mean, it's necessity. That's what has to happen. They're doing it. Imagine we're here just outside these curtains. And it says people were cutting and bringing products right through the temple. Imagine I'm preaching and a teacher up there says, man, it's way, it's too long to go around that way. And they just cut right in front of what's happening right here. This is happening in the very place where the Gentile people could worship and pray to God. And, and you're supposed to come to God with authenticity and reverence and prayer. And you got your family and you're trying to live out your faith. This is a joke. It's an insult to not just the temple, it's an insult to God. And Jesus, what does he do? He says, this stops, because I'm not a joke. And he overturns it, and he forces people out, and he says, this is where prayer is supposed to happen. This is what I expect. Two things that I think we take away from this. Jesus came not just to be a Savior. And I know that that's our main thing that we, we push, and as a Lutheran, that's what I say is the main thing. When you read the Bible, Jesus is Savior. And if I would ask you, what's your favorite parts about Jesus? I think it would lean towards that end, wouldn't it? If I said, what's your favorite part about Jesus? You'd say, he takes my sins away, I would guess. He brings me comfort. When I'm sad, that God can lift me up. When I'm in trouble, God can take care of me. Are these the things that mean something to you? When you, like, you lose your job, you think, I can trust that God is going to take care of me. When um, there's uh, hard times going on, you see, Jesus is looking out for me. God has this plan for me. All of these things, God is my, when you're scared as a kid, I remember you just pray to God and say, God, you're with me, you protect me, and, and I'll never be left. These are our favorite things. It's easy to love that Jesus, I think. I think it's really easy to welcome that Jesus. There's, what, what's not to like? That Jesus who promises he's going to help you in your marriage and the Jesus who promises he's going to help you in your work, the Jesus that says he's going to bless you. I think that's pretty easy. But then Jesus rolls in and he clears the temple and I think there's another part of Jesus as not just forgiver, but Jesus as leader. A Jesus who, as he cleansed this outer temple, looks at you and says, I want to clean you from the inside out. That one's a little harder. That's a little harder to lay down the palm branches and say, come on in and do your work. The Jesus who says, I have something to say about your sex life. I have something to say about the way you spend your money. I have something to say about the things you look at on the internet. I have something to say the way you treat your spouse. I have something to say about the way that you treat other people. I have something to say about the way you talk. That's the God who comes and challenges you and says, how are you helping the poor? How are you helping those who are sick? How are you helping those who are hurting? How are you doing something to, for other people? That's a little bit harder. C.S. Lewis, um, in kind of a famous quote, Mere Christianity, it's long, he says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the rooms and so on. 
you knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably, and it does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building a quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. He's talking about being made like Jesus, but he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. There's Jesus as Savior, and then there's Jesus as leader who says, I have come to make residence um, through faith in you, and I expect you to change. You can't just say, like, I, uh, um, it, it, just hypothetically, picture it like the palm branches. They, they, this is the most bizarre thing as a kid when they would welcome them with the palm branches, and then days later, it, you're yelling, crucify them. And as a kid, how many of you thought, like, there's no way I would ever do that? Same stories, too, when, they, when Moses is on top of the Mount Sinai and they come down and they're worshiping the golden calf. As a kid, I'm like, who would do that? I would never do those things. You can have the warm and fuzzy Jesus, the comforter and the one who makes your life better, which is true. And you can hold it like that prom branch, but you can also kind of tuck it away and hide it and just kind of pull it out when you need. What God is calling you to do and why Palm Sunday is significant is because he came not just to make, just take, take sins away, but he's come to transform you from the inside out. And in a sense, he's saying, lay down your palm branch before me if you're ready for your change to happen from here out there. It's your choice. I mean, as a Christian, this is where we're confronted, and this is the depth of Holy Week. Because you and I stand, and when you hear things like that, when I hear things like that, it cuts to my own heart. And I don't like it so much when Jesus wants to know what I look at or what I say or what I think. I don't like that so much. But God says this is the reason he has come for Holy Week. And unless you confront your own sinfulness, unless you open up your own heart before God, unless you look at him, the crucifixion doesn't mean anything. Commitment doesn't mean anything. And the resurrection doesn't mean anything unless you've seen your own sin and you've seen that Jesus has gobbled those up. And he has marched those to the cross and he has risen and taken all those sins away so that you can stand now. And you can say, God, I love you, I do. And you've changed me, not just on the outside saying I love all the beautiful things, but I love that you want me to be something different. Help me in that walk. That's what we're going to be doing this Holy Week. That's what Holy Week started about, to recognize what God has really done in taking our sins away and recognize that God has a bigger plan for you than just a little change. God has a plan to make you a big change. Amen. Uh, Heavenly Father, no one likes to be confronted with their own sinfulness. Um, We like the idea that Jesus has come to save us. We like the idea that he comforts us and takes care of us. We're not such a big fan of having our sins exposed, but that's a necessary part of a believer. Help us all daily come to you with our own sinfulness and lay those before you and know that we don't have to hide them from you because you fully have forgiven them. And that's the beauty of Holy Week. Jesus has shown us with his true body and blood in the Lord's Supper. He's shown us with his death on the cross and he has proved it as we'll celebrate in just a week that all our sins are gone. Amen.